0: Pod, 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 pod. Rugby
1: pod. Right, welcome back to the Rugby Pod, fans. I'm Big Jib, and this is my partner in crime who calls himself... The Maradona of rugby. Isn't that right, Andrew Good?
0: No, it's not, James. Maybe off the field, but certainly no. not on it. I didn't have the skill level on it, but <laughs> lifestyle, yes.
1: Great honesty. That a boy. Well, we've got a hell of a pod lined up. Of course we have. Andrew,
0: hit me. What we got today? Well, we're going to give a massive preview to the Six Nations. Of course we are. It starts this Friday in Marseille. So looking forward to chatting that. We've got the legend, the Welsh legend, the Northampton, the Toulon, the Ospreys legend on, Dan Bigger. He's going to join us for a lot of the show, which I'm very excited about. And then we're speaking to R.G. Snyman as well. It's his birthday. So a big happy birthday to R.G. Snyman when he comes on. We're going to hear all about his move from Munster up to Leinster. So sit back, enjoy, and make sure you've subscribed on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's.
2: Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English
0: muffin with a butter blade, boulder
2: dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. (laughs) Thomas's, huzzah, a toast to breakfast.
3: This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000
1: The great Dan Bigger. How was the intro? We weren't clunky. So for the millions of listeners, Dan, how did we do?
2: Very, very good, actually. I thought Goody spoke very, very well, to be fair. Actually, Goody still owes us a few quid because we won the Challenge Cup back in Dublin in May for a few <laughs> pints of Guinness on the tab. So I'll make sure that uh, the checks in the post, Goody,
0: yeah? <laughs> yeah, 100%. You said it was all free. It was all too long, cash flowing everywhere. Matthew Bastereau was there. It was just free drinks at the bar, yeah. I
2: thought. Have I got to pay for it? You're lucky we won, Goody. I think they covered it <laughs> off, all right. If we'd have lost, we'd have had an invoice, I reckon
1: Andrew is a big Challenge Cup fan. Myself, I just feast at the top table. Not that I've been there a lot, but I do like the Champions Cup. So I've missed this little bit of interaction.
0: Well, let's rewind it. then. We're in Dublin, Jim. I was an ambassador for the Champions Cup and the Challenge Cup.
2: I thought you were an ambassador for Guinness that night, Goody.
0: Oh, <laughs> I'll be an ambassador for anyone. I tell you now, as long as it's <laughs> as long as there's drink and I'm getting paid, it's happy days. So yeah, we had a night out in Dublin celebrating Dan Bigger and his two long boys smash your Scottish team,
1: Glasgow, Jim, in the final. I'm Edinburgh. There we go. I'm not Glasgow, <laughs> I'm Edinburgh. But I would have been supporting Glasgow. I do remember it, actually.
2: You know what it's like in France? Yeah, basically, if you, if you win, basically, you can have what you want. And the bar was kind of just open. And I, I think it was meant to be just for the team. But basically, I think anyone who came in, we had Wayne Barnes, a few of the refs were in there. Goody came in and everyone just piled the drinks on the on the tab and got to the end of the night and there was like a five and a half grand bill. And luckily the team managers just put the card behind the bar, cleared it, and everyone sort of scampered out of there. So uh, I reckon two and a half grand of that was Goody's dinner. <laughs> <so>, uh... <laughs> That's a
0: day's wages for you, Dan. That's easy. You could have just paid it.
2: <laughs> I wish that was the case.
1: <laughs> I should jump in and say I feel a bit harsh saying that about the Challenge Cup because this year, Andrew, you did it last year, not an ambassador, but I... I'm on the panel for choosing the player of the tournament or the year of the Challenge Champions Cup. I'm not too sure what it is. I've seen the email kind of briefly, but I'm doing (laughs) something around picking who was good and who's not. So Caelan, my old Doris, if he's sending me pictures again from that gymnastics establishment in Vegas, you're in, regardless of what happens to Leinster in the round of 16 going forward. But you were choosing like who the player of the year was and stuff like that. Is that what it is? Yeah. So that's what I'm doing, yeah, right? Yeah, basically. So we had a night out with Biggs that finished at about
0: six o'clock in the morning, whatever time it was. And then I've got to be up at nine o'clock in the morning to have a panel discussion about who's the player of the year in the Champions Cup. That's it.
1: Panel discussion.
0: I'm on that, mate. I'm on the panel. Do you reckon I could say three words coherently <laughs>
1: <laughs> after a night out? So
0: yeah, it was good fun. And basically, we worked out it was either going to be I think it was either going to be Caelan Miel Doris if Leinster won, and Gregory Aldry if Laroche won that final. So I just went, lads, ladies, whoever you want, I'm in. Where's the Guinness?
1: How's things, mate? Because apparently you're retiring, you're done, everything's over. Big insurance job in the bank. What's <laughs> happening? But
2: now you're fine. Yeah, never believe what you read in the papers. That's the bottom. Yeah, I'm absolutely. Obviously, I had a little bit of an issue after the World Cup, and I've been back for the last few weeks but yeah just basically just taking my time a little bit not rushing back too much and I'm absolutely not retiring anytime soon loving it here loving the lifestyle loving the rugby we've had a couple of tough weeks in terms of results wise but we had a good win against La Rochelle Saturday night which again you know what it's like Jim things always seem a little bit rosier even more so in France after after a win at home but I'm generally all right and looking forward to the end the rest of the season we've got a week off next week to sort of recoup and rest the body a little bit and, and hopefully come back for a strong end of the season. How is the back then,
0: Dan? Because we all saw the video of how you're going for a kick at goal and you've just stacked it, <laughs> basically from carrying Welsh rugby for the last five, six, seven, eight years on your back, single handed. Yeah,
2: I wish that would be the case, Scoody. But do you know what I was more annoyed about afterwards? The, the kicking coach actually marked that kick down as a missed kick for me. Oh, really. So that's going to affect my percentages. <laughs> so I was like... So that's that's the worst thing about it. So basically, I've got like a bit of a problem. I had a bit of a problem between my L four and L five disc in my in my back. And oh,
1: I know um, the old L four. Oh,
2: anyone who I've mentioned and just said L four, they just seem to know what I'm on about straight away. So I'd be lying if I said I didn't have a few videos sent to me on WhatsApp after after that and a bit of uh, a bit of the piss taken out of me. But I'm generally I'm a lot better now, a lot lot better. And like I said, back on the field and back training and hopefully be absolutely fine and and looking forward to the end of the year but yeah i'm um I'm struggling but bit. It definitely isn't from carrying Welsh rugby, Goody.
1: That is one thing for sure. Hey, mine was from carrying Scottish rugby. Do you remember a few years ago, Goody, I was FaceTiming you and stuff like that. I was on the floor, big so I put out my L4 playing the game of touch.
2: To be fair, Jim, it would have been a lot heavier carrying Scottish rugby back then, to be fair to you. So.
1: <laughs> I will take it. So, Bigs, what we normally talk about is how the weekend's been. Ask me how my weekend's been.
2: How's your weekend been, Jim?
1: Hell, absolutely <laughs> hell. Big. I wanted to ask you this, right, because we've been going back and forth on the WhatsApp chat. But the Netflix doc, give us an idea of what it was like as players before we get into a little bit of the the content and the access. What was it like as a player?
2: For us, Jim, it was it was a little bit more difficult maybe than, than other countries because we were obviously going through the, the difficulties with the drama, with
1: the, Union yeah. and the, drama. And
2: the, the strike threat. So we actually asked the guys to leave for the best part of the week because we were kind of trying to gain a little bit of the upper hand on the union and things. And we just basically just That's said, the oh, we're, we're, That's the yeah, best part, Biggs. That's the best part. exactly. I said, if they'd, if they'd have had the cameras rolling for some of the discussions behind closed doors, they'd have, they'd have had some brilliant content. But I think, uh, going back to the bigger picture, I think it's they've done a really good job on it. And I think what they have to do now is spilled on it. They've got like a bit of a starting base. They've got a bit of an idea of what, because I think the guys who came in to do it with us sort of said they haven't really got that much experience in what a rugby team room is like or what the tra- changing room before, you know, five minutes before kickoff or at half time and things like that is like. So I think they've done a really good, they've had a, a really solid base to start with. And I think what hopefully will, will happen now is it will get better and better and better as the years go on. And I am absolutely gutted though that they chose to do it that was their first one because that was the one we finished fifth. And we had all the drama and everything like that. They could have, they could have picked any one number of ones where we potentially won it or <laughs> yeah. were playing for the championship on the last day of the, of the last day of the nah. situation. no but one wants that. Got- no one
0: outside of Wales <laughs> wants that.
2: From my perspective, though,
0: actually watching it back, and my favourite bit was you, Biggs, looking out over. The med from your house with the swimming pool, just live in the... I can't imagine why you left Northampton to go and get that house over there. But (laughs) actually, I've done a bit of research about it, right? And some people have moaned about there wasn't enough access from certain teams. It wasn't Netflix's fault. It was a lot of the unions and a lot of the coaches that didn't want them in all the time because they're worried about secrets getting out, even though the documentary wasn't coming out for a year later so I know there wasn't much access from Steve Borthwick you don't see a lot of that stuff I actually thought it came across really well I really enjoyed it and I'm obviously I've been in the game you know I know what it's like in changing rooms and when the cameras are there some people play up to them but to me I thought actually the way the documentary looks is brilliant but there are things that we can improve on and a lot of that is around access and coaches just trusting them completely to get in there and capture everything.
2: It's funny, good, you should say that because during the, um, on a slightly off topic, but in, during the World Cup in between the Australia game where I had a, my injury to my, to my pack, we obviously were in France, we had a few days off and I came back to Toulon, popped into the club to see the, the club physio just to get some treatment. And obviously South Africa were using Toulon's training ground as a base. And I was sort of in and out there. I met my wife. We got like a, a brand new brasserie on the side of the pitch where you can go and have lunch and watch training and things like that. Obviously, I felt a little bit awkward being there because they were the Springboks were just about to start training. I was, you know, there was still a chance we potentially could play them and, and things like that. And I spoke to all the staff. I said, oh, look, I'm really sorry. I'm literally just finishing up lunch with my wife and, and, and boys and we'll be literally out of here before training starts. And... All of them just came up to me and said, Don't worry, relax, enjoy your time with your family, no pressure, no anything like that. And maybe when you play South Africa, you kind of there's not much secrets anyway. You no, kind yeah. of know what's coming anyway. So maybe if it was a different <laughs> team, yeah, it could it could have been it could have been different. But I just thought that was a really, really good way of just doing things in terms of look, there was no pressure on being special, being keeping secrets and and things like that. It just made me feel a lot more, I suppose, comfortable knowing that, you know. Because I know what some other people or other coaches or other players may have been like as well, and it's, it's not always an easy situation. So I think, yeah, like you said, Goody, I think the more that they can gain trust in these types of, you know, the Netflix documentaries and things is only going to benefit the game 100%. I
1: love that. You nearly said drama because that's what we need. <laughs> we need a bit of drama. I'm a, I'm a little bit rogue in the way that I think about this. Like me and Goody have spoke for years. We've obviously done the podcast for years as well, Big. So we are a little bit kind of rogue. Thrive on drama. I've enjoyed it. I haven't watched all of them. Um, I've not even watched the one where I featured on Budgie Smugglers. Um, is that hockey? Is <laughs> it's hockey getting in the ice bath. It's, that, yeah, it's
0: my body, it your is. head, Jim, those budgies that are on there. So.
1: Of course. Sorry, uh, it is. Well, it's your old body. It's yeah. your bigger body, isn't it? That's the it? true one, so, yeah. yeah. yeah I, didn't, I didn't know whether to bring it up or not. But th- that's what I mean. The drama, bigs. I think from my point of view, all the stuff, and it's different for you because you, you were in it, but all the stuff to do with Wales, everything around that, Ireland with Johnny Sexton and like how he captains the team, Mm. the drama, right? That's the stuff that sells, whether or not the players like it. And it's a real difficult balance, isn't it? But I think this is the initial stage, right? Because, and I hope this sounds right when I say it, there almost seems like a desperation when this doc come out that everyone in rugby is desperate for this documentary to work. So you look at the way that it's been promoted, you look at the interactions from all the different unions with World Rugby. So I know a lot about what's happening with that. I just feel as it could be a little bit kind of more, not that it's not sincere, but this should have happened a long time ago, right? And, I agree with that, yeah. And it feels like maybe because of the way the game is now in the prem, with the kind of money that's in the game, there is a desperation. And then we all realise that actually every other sport, golf, has done one, we've had the yeah. access to football that we've seen on Prime Video, NBA, NFL, I speak about it all the time, the tennis has done theirs as well. Do the players see value, Biggs, or do you think there's a shift now with the younger generation coming through? We had Andrew Porter on the show, he was talking about building his brand, he obviously features heavily in the show, we all know about Finn, calls himself Lionel Messi, how cool is that it blew up, which obviously didn't want it to, but is there, like you older guard, and guys like Alan Wynne-Jones, it's more difficult because it's never been done?
2: I do think, Jim, it's a little bit harder with the guys who perhaps have kind of been there, done it, and, and all those bits and pieces. It's harder to really sort of, you know, you're kind of guarded a bit more. You've got a bit more experience of perhaps being, you know, perhaps being burnt by certain things in the past as well. Do you know what I mean? So perhaps your guard is up a little bit more. But for, for Like my what? Point what of do you know, mean burnt, things? Well, in terms of, say, for argument, sake through the media, media interviews, video bits and pieces, through, I suppose, all those bits and pieces. So all of a sudden then you, you're you trying to welcome a camera crew in to record every passing moment of your day and things like that. So perhaps from that side of it, the older guard, perhaps a little bit more guarded, I suppose, and what they give and how they how they are seen. But for, from my point of view, Jim, I think, so going back to sort of like your, your bit on, on Finn, obviously Finn said that a bit tongue-in-cheek and and things like that. But people keep saying, don't they, that we want personalities. We want people to come out and be honest in interviews. We want people to have something. But the minute people come out and give something like that, we're so quick this day and age to just rubbish it or jump on it and jump on all the negative side of it. And I think from my point of view, I just think like you just need to buy into it and grow a brand. Same for someone like Louis Rizamik who puts himself out there on social media and puts himself out there in the press or or in his social life and things like that. And you may not agree with everything he does or you may not think that's appropriate, but he's got a personality and he's not afraid to do and say what he thinks and do what he wants to do. And you keep saying we want more characters and want more personalities in the game. And then as soon as people show their personality, people are just happy to jump on it and criticise it and things. So for me, I think from the Netflix point of view, I hope that, like I said, people... I think I've spoken to a lot of players as well who sort of said it was a bit awkward at the start because all of a sudden you some boys play up to it and some boys go into their shell when a camera's around. So I think it's again I think it's a really good starting base for the for the crew and for the, for the game. But I think hopefully the the effect it'll have on the game will only improve and the boys and the younger generation I and mean, even some of the older generation can see that and and perhaps sort of see the value in it, rather than the negative side of things.
0: I think from my perspective, when you look at it, um, and I've watched it all back now, I think some countries, some players, some management of... Each team, And I know how protected the players are. Like I work at Leicester on match days and the media guy from last year wouldn't let us have any access at all to the players, which I thought was ridiculous. And it doesn't help the bigger cause of the club. Now, I think a lot of countries will look back at it and go, we should have given a bit more. We could have given a bit more. The players want to do more. And I'm hearing the noises coming now out of the England camp from their pre-Six Nations camp over in Spain, and they want to be seen to be doing more. They want you know, to reconnect with the fans. So it is a hard balance, and I get completely big. Some people play up to it. Some people get shy around a camera and don't want part of it. And there is the old guard, but there's a desperation for it now because of the where rugby's got to financially and how good all these documentaries look for other sports. So hopefully it's a good starting point, and there's more to follow because we need to get eyes on the game that aren't going to watch club games every week you know, you need this kind of exposure to grow the game. So fingers crossed, it's a good start, but there's more to come, right? 100%.
1: Yeah, definitely. You mentioned Lewis rees summit there as well, Biggs, and it's a little bit of old news, but (laughs) because we've got you, it's as current as it can be because you can give us some insight into whether or not he's got the athletic capabilities to make it into the NFL. And Goody, we were chatting about it, weren't we, last week, Biggs, just for some reference. We're all for it. We think it's a great move for him. It's a great move for rugby, the profile. He's young enough to come back. Have you seen enough in what you've seen to think he's got the athletic abilities to go all the way?
2: Well, I suppose if you're going to cherry-pick someone from the game of rugby to go out there and give it a real good shot, then he'd be... Near the top of your list, wouldn't he? In terms of the the speed he's got, the the power, the explosivity, everything he's got, he's got the X factor. Now, whether that's going to be good enough to go and compete against guys who are going to be trialling out in the NFL, who are all going to be of a similar standard and a similar, you know, speed and and power and and things of him, that's supposed to be seen. But again, it's kind of one of those things where I'm so glad he's just come out and done what he wanted to do, rather than just perhaps just sticking with something that he wasn't 100% happy with or he's put himself out there he's 22 years old to go and live away from home and out of his comfort zone and really test himself now who knows if it's going to work for him the way he wants it to but if it doesn't he's going to be 24-25 when he comes back and he's going to have enough credit in the bank from his from his previous two, three, four years to pick up a club or any club's going to want, still want his signature anyway. So whenever we sort of used to speak to him, we always used to say to him, you know, what are you doing your next contract or what are you doing? He said, oh, I'm just going to the NFLG and things like that. That's how we used to answer. And we all, we always used to think, nah, this guy, I said, he must be playing up. He's just resigned at Gloucester or whatever. And still living in Cardiff. And, when it came out, I think there was probably a few of us who weren't one hundred percent surprised, but obviously the, the timing was was obviously a, a a shock and so yeah, so it'd be interesting. I think he's out in Miami now, which is which will suit his lifestyle as well. We used to call him San Tropez away.
1: Well, especially if he's calling people G as well. Is he calling people G?
2: <laughs> he calls everyone G, yeah. Everyone's Well, he'd be all right, it'll be suited
1: to, it'll be suited to Miami <laughs> yeah. then. I don't even know what my my G means. It's my gangster, isn't it, or something?
2: Yeah, I mean I'm not fully clued up to it, but I found myself pulling it
1: in back
0: anyway. <laughs> 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 mate, I'll tell you what, looking at some of the pictures and some of the videos he's putting out, he looks brilliant. Yeah, you see the technique. <laughs>
1: well, wow, Andrew, we all look good on Instagram, mate. <laughs> we don't. We don't, Jim, you look horrific. No, you yeah, fact, we don't. I know, you're absolutely right. Yeah, with the yellow teeth. Yeah, it's just the filter.
0: He does look good doing it, and you know we wish him all the best. I'm just interested from you, Bigs, because I was approached. And I said it last week on the pod. all that, yeah. Not the big time, the Canadian Football League, which is basically like playing non-league football here in in England. Did you ever get approached as a kicker or anything like that? Because obviously, your kicking stats are great. You boot it a long way, and it's suited to that pressure environment, isn't it? Really.
2: No, nothing, um, Goody, to be honest with you. I've never had any real appetite for it, but I've never had any requests or any sort of interest from from anybody. But we actually went, uh, this is a long time ago, this would be 15 years ago, my first tour, we went to Canada and America. Yeah. And we went to see the uh, Chicago Bears sort of train and we watched that session for sort of like two, two and a half hours. And then the field goal kicker, Robbie Gould came on at the end for like 10 minutes, did a couple of routines with the team and then basically packed himself up and left. And we sort of went up to him and said, basically, you must be literally living the absolute dream, 10 minutes for a (laughs) session, just doing it, just doing a little bit. And he said, he said, look, I can't deny that this job is absolutely unreal. But he said, I mean, it's not like you guys in terms of, you know, if you miss one or two, you know, maybe even during a match, you know, the kicking coach or the head coach is like, oh, look, don't worry, just make sure you put the work in and make sure you get it right next year. He said, if you miss one or two in a season... For him, he's out the door sort of thing. Yeah. So he said, obviously, there's tons of pressure that come with it as well. But it saves getting whacked about for 80 minutes and still having to try and kick goals as well. So a little bit like your last season up at Newcastle, Goody, where you basically were just just the kicker. Just kick, goals. Just kick goals,
0: kick the ball and tell everyone yeah. to chase it. That's all I did. Is all I, oh, I reckon
1: both of you could have been cult heroes in the NFL, CFL, AFL, or whatever it's called, with I mean, your old kicking style as well. When you started doing that mad twitchy stuff, you could have built a brand on that. I,
2: I was going to say, especially out in America, that could have gone. That could have gone big. <laughs> That's time, what yeah. I mean,
1: because they love that shit. They love quirky yeah. stuff. And Goody imagine, mate, you coming on like, as in the belly button down <laughs> by the knees and stuff like that. They'd be,
0: they'd be going wild I'll for give you. It a go. I would have given it a go. Well, we've talked about the Netflix documentary. There's another documentary coming out this week as well isn't the gym on referees on rugby pass tv it's free to sign up and watch Jim, you're mr world rugby mr rugby pass are the referees happy that dan bigger isn't playing the six nations anymore because of his the banter are we gonna gonna say i knew there was a reason i I knew was a reason you got me on today
2: (laughs) yeah
1: that's why basically dan's just said the reason we've got him on today is basically this doc's come out because of dan that's it just (laughs) yeah of course it hasn't. No, the referees love Dan. Of course they do. Have you seen any of the trailers or anything, lads? I have, yeah. for yeah, It
0: looks good. I just wish Bracey was the
1: star. He might feature. You never know. But genuinely, people think because this is my job and involved, I'm not going to bang anything up on social media or talk anything up if it's not good. right? I thought the Netflix doc, from what I've seen, was good. Give it a kind of 6, 7 out of 10. This one is an 8 or 9 out of 10. It's called Whistleblowers. It's a behind-the-scenes. The way that it's shot... And also the access, right? The access and the drama and the jeopardy that the referees go through. You think about the World Cup, just gone, lads. You think about the stuff that happened with France getting knocked out, the way that South Africa made it all the way to the final, some of the big decisions, what the referees had to go through with Wayne Barnes, Ben O'Keefe as well, just to name two. They feature quite a lot behind the scenes. I am being sincere, and you'll know this when it comes out next week, that this is one of the best sporting docs I've seen. And I love sporting docs. And if it's not... You can hold me to account. You can call me out on it. Whistleblowers, it's on Rugby Pass TV. It's free to sign up. Yes, you need to sign up. You'll see loads of stuff go out on social media. And I just think it gives unbelievable insight. It's out Thursday. It's a bloody good watch. And it needs to be, I'd say, the standard now that rugby docs going forward, that's how they should look yeah. with that kind of energy jeopardy. And I'm going to say it, drama. Yeah, nice. drama.
0: Biggs, just quickly on referees. And as we're talking about that documentary,
2: who's your favourite referee? By a mile, Wayne Barnes. By a country mile, Wayne Barnes. By a mile. One of the very few you can actually have a conversation with. was funny. Remember, we he left us for versus France one evening, Friday evening, and um, we were in the after dinner function. I was, I was there with my wife. He said, is he like this in the house when he asks you to make a cup of tea? He's like, make, make a fucking cup of tea. Make a fucking <laughs> cup of tea. So, <laughs> so I thought he sort of plays up to it. He's got a good character. And, He's one of the very, very few you can actually sort of, you can almost sort of have a bit of a crack with him on the field and you can almost, yeah. you know, in, in the right way, you can almost say, fuck me, Barnes, you're having a shocker, or, you know what I mean, or something like that, and say, you know, and, and he takes it well, gives it a bit back and things, and just a brilliant aura ref in terms of how he communicates. And, and, I, and I think for any young ref coming through, I think the way that he approaches and deals with players is is second to none. By a country mile, win, Barnes, yeah.
1: Yeah, and when we talk about that big, so we're talking about Barnsley. He's obviously retired now. There's some big people involved in the Six Nations, which is about to start next week. Yeah. Obviously, Owen Farrell, yourself, Johnny Sexton mentioned Wayne Barnes who's been a big part of the Six Nations as well I know there's a few others in there is it weird DuPont's not there yeah but he's not gone gone forever he's definitely coming back in it. but you is. know what I mean as in the boys who are gone and never coming back who you look at the Six Nations you think of
2: you guys yeah well I was just about to say going on the, the referee subject I reckon the referees are pretty happy myself Johnny and Owen I'm, exactly. I'm <laughs> in, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I was going yes, to <laughs> say yeah they, they must be they must have had a glass of red to celebrate that no doubt about it um, yeah it's funny Jim because I honestly don't think i'll miss the monday to friday and those bits and pieces but i think the match day experience is something that it's just impossible to replicate whether whether you're doing punditry whether you're doing coaching whether you're watching in the stands you just can't replicate that match day experience as a player and i'm sure you guys will have yeah. will have obviously know a lot more than me in terms of when you're retired you 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 just can't replicate it anymore so from that side of things i will definitely definitely miss it but i'm also quite looking forward to I suppose being a fan this year for the first time in 12, 13 years where I can actually almost look forward to a Six Nations afternoon and literally make the most of it because forever you're missing games or you're missing moments of games or that you you can't think fully about enjoying watching games or playing in them because the pressure is so high. So for me this year, I'm going to I'm going to, to France Island on Friday night because it's only an hour from us here in, in Toulon, just under an hour. I just can't wait to actually go as a fan. And I think from my my end as well, I'm quite content with how I've managed to. to I've done, we've done okay in the Six Nations over the last sort of 10, 12 years. You know, we've picked up some winners' medals, some Grand Slams, some some uh, some hot no real biggie. yeah. Just... yeah. <laughs> I think if I would have been watching it back after playing in it, perhaps and not picked up some of those medals or win those those memories alright mate I'll give it a rest me been
1: looked- fuck all here yeah <laughs> I know, I know. alright yeah.
2: hey you say so, that I won
1: the wooden spoon four times oh, so no, I'm true, happy true, yeah. I,
2: I never won that so yeah so I suppose I can look back and be satisfied with what I've done and then that means I can enjoy it a little bit more as a spectator and watching games as opposed to it. And actually, this, this weekend, we play Sunday evening at nine o'clock, which is like the graveyard shift normally. But this weekend works perfectly. I can watch both games Saturday, Friday night game and not worry about anything else. So um, very much looking forward to it.
0: Well, the big thing I'm looking forward to as well, Dan, and there's been some changes that you're involved in, is you're going to be part of the ITV crew as well, aren't you? Which, stepping into punditry properly, I know you've done some bits as well, but how excited are you to see it from that angle? He's
1: taken my spot. I'm gone. No,
2: nah, they said you were too expensive, Jim, so they had to <laughs> find somewhere.
1: I'll take that. If that's what they said, I'm happy.
2: <laughs> I am looking forward to it. Good Again, literally what we just spoke about in terms of that match day experience, it's so difficult to replicate. So for me, sometimes like when you're not playing, like there's one or two games during the World Cup where I wasn't playing and you just could take in all the atmosphere, take in everything like that. And yeah, really looking forward to that side of it. Hopefully I can... Hopefully, I can add some value to it as well from being so so close to the game and still obviously currently playing club level, but recently retired from international level. I'm really looking forward to see what I can add. I think the approach style of it. I think I'm just going to slag everyone else off because that's what I've had for the last 13 years. So I'm just going to go. I'm just, just going to go down that route. No, I, I'm really looking forward to it because sometimes I find the frustration for me is when you're watching maybe the the analysis or the post match and the, the highlights and things like that. There's lots of things which you you know and you guys would know what it's like as well. You would know that as a player that when people are talking they know that you're not they're not quite getting that right or they're not quite understanding what you're trying to do. And I think from my my point of view especially for that Wales-England game I'll know both teams really, really well. I'll know what certainly what Wales are looking to try and achieve, which will be a lot more informed than perhaps some people who who've been perhaps out of the game for a bit for a bit longer, sort of thing. So I think from my point of view, it just gives me a real a bit of an advantage being so so recently retired to be able to try and pick out some bits and pieces which which hopefully will inform people and, and help out a little bit.
1: Well, on that then, Biggs, give us an insight, give us some knowledge then, because on this podcast, there's one of the two on here. I know there's there's four of you, <laughs> including producer Rob, just say that Wales can't do it every single time. So give us some knowledge and give us an insight into a kind of snapshot of where Wales are, because the obvious statement is, is they're a young team, they're a team in transition, you're not there, Alan Wyn Jones isn't there. Tipperick's not there as well, so superstars gone by, and therefore you're not going to do that well this Six Nations. I always have Wales as a team, unfortunately, just from the outside looking in, which is crazy, considering the amount of times I've lost to Wales, only beat them once in 2007, hell of a ding-dong. <laughs> we, we don't do that well against Wales. We've got you first up, but give us an idea, give the listeners an idea of the makeup of the squad and whether or not you will be any good this Six Nations.
2: It's going to be very, very different this year because they're... I suppose there's been a, a group of us for 10, 12 years who've kind of pretty much come to an end now. And I think a Six Nations after a World Cup tends to be not a free hit by any stretch, but it, there's probably a tiny bit less pressure on the the coaches or the teams because you are at the start of perhaps a new cycle. But I think from the, the makeup of the Welsh team, there's lots of young players. And again, the, it's common knowledge and everybody knows that perhaps the Welsh regions aren't performing as well as they'd like and there's lots of doom and gloom in Wales but what it has given is lots and lots of opportunities for young players to have played which which perhaps if things were all hunky-dory and the teams were winning and bringing in foreigners and filling those spaces they wouldn't have that opportunity so you've got your guys like your Cam Wimmit your, your Alex Mans, your Mackenzie Martins your your guys like that who have just looked like they're absolutely relishing the chance to put, play for their clubs and, and play for their country so do I think Wales can win the tournament? I, I'm not so sure.
1: Here's the headline, Biggs. Come on, then. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, I do think the winner will come between the game on Friday night. I think France and Ireland are are a little bit stronger than every other team in that tournament. And I think that showed you in the World Cup, even though they, they both went out of the quarterfinals. Right, hey, third best team in the world.
0: That- England are third
2: best team in the world, Biggs. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> Mental. I, th- I, think, I, th- and I think, to be honest, this is coming from someone who also lost in a quarterfinal of the World Cup. The, the teams in that top half of the draw were, by some distance, better than the teams in the in the bottom half of the draw in terms of our side of the draw, and there's no doubt about that. So, I think the winner comes from the game on Friday night, if you want my honest opinion. But I think Wales. I listened to a pod that Gats did this week. I think it was maybe from the Six Nations launch, and he sort of said, "This is almost where Wales prefer to be, and I'd love to be." You know, everyone counting them out, everyone writing them off. You know, Scotland having won in Cardiff, for was it nearly 20, twenty years? Over twenty years?
1: Yeah, it's been a while. it's been a while. Uh, We've been been close, yeah. not a good crap, but yeah, it's been a while.
2: And Gats will Gats is the type of coach and person and personality who will love this type of feel, and he'll get the players thriving off that. So I think it's a really good start for Wales in terms of the game at first up against Scotland and Cardiff. So if they can win that, they gain some confidence going into the next one. But if they, conversely, if you lose that, then you're looking at two trips to Twickenham and to Dublin which obviously looks a lot tougher off the back of a home defeat. So the the squad is young. The, the front five is very inexperienced. And I think Gats has come out on record and said that we're basically looking at some of these players to create some more depth and create some more opportunities for players. So I do think that this tournament will be a little bit too far for Wales to win. But, you know, stranger things have happened. And I do think the winner comes from the game on Friday night down in Marseille.
0: And just talking about the Welsh squad then, we know you've, you've been part of Warren Gatlin's teams for years and years and years, and the Warren Ball way to play. I look at the back line. The back line's very experienced, though, isn't it? Apart from at 10, where you've vacated the jersey. Yeah. You've got George North, Tompkins in the centres. On the wings, you've got star players there as well. So the back line looks good. How do you expect Gats to play with, when he's openly said the type five is going to be a weakness pretty much for them? Because no scrum, no set piece, no line out. It's very difficult to play even with Warren Ball. So I'm intrigued to know what you think the evolution of the team is going to be.
2: You always play to your strengths. And I'm a firm, firm believer that it doesn't matter what your strengths are, you you play to them, whether that's attractive on the eye or not attractive on the eye. And for us, for 10 years, we basically wanted other teams to have the ball effectively with our defence and our physicality and our kick chase pressure and things like that. This team, probably, this Six Nations, is probably going to have to move the ball a little bit more. It's going to have to keep the play fairly fluid, because if you go head-to-head or pound-for-pound with a, a France or an Ireland, probably at the minute, you're going to come off second best. But if you can manipulate teams around, if you can move the ball, as Warren will always back themselves with a, with a Warren Gatlin-based team, the fitness and the ability to work hard and grow a bit taller when you wear a Welsh jersey, I do believe that they will cause teams problems because that back division has got some serious, serious talent. And the back division isn't a massive amount of change, really. No. You know, 10 and 15, probably, are the, are the two changes. So if that front five and if that forward pack can supply enough ball, I've got absolutely no doubt that the way that the back division can attack in terms of the pace, the power, the, the X factor that they have, they can cause problems. But like you said, Goody, if if you don't get enough front front ball, it doesn't it doesn't matter who you got at nine, ten, fifteen, thirteen, they're just going to get starved and the the game's going to get turned into a into a slugfest and generally the heavier and bigger teams with with big guys to come off the bench. You look at like France and Ireland, who they've got to come off the bench Monsters, in, in that yeah. front five department. And that's a big reason why probably South Africa won the World Cup.
3: Yeah,
2: It's just that what they can bring on after 45, 50, 60 minutes is as good as anything on the field. And, and that started the game. So for me, I think there's there's absolutely no doubt that the game's going to have to be moved around the pitch and not, I suppose, not a traditional Welsh type of style, if that makes sense, what you've probably been used to for the last 10 or 12 years. I think they'll probably have to deviate a little bit from that and use the strengths and that back division have got and just be able to supply them enough ball. And who's starting at 10 and who's starting at fullback then, Biggs, if it's you? For me, Sam Costello definitely starts at 10. I think he's got huge, huge amounts of talent. I know that he's had a little bit of a frustrating time since the World Cup with some injuries and... Not a huge amount of game time, but he's got a really, really old head on young shoulders, Um, leads the team really well. I was really impressed with him during the World Cup, how he stood up in front of the group and led meetings and led things on attack. And he's as brave as anything. That's one thing as well. I think he's got all the aspects of of an international 10, brave, good in defence and so I think he play 10 um, and I'm looking forward to seeing how he makes makes the team his and how he wants the team to play rather than just being told this is how we want you to play go play for Wales. Does yeah. that does that make sense Studio yeah. Jim in terms of I don't I don't want him just to go and play for Wales. I want him to go and play and make the team his and transform his form and how he wants the team to play. So I'm really excited for him. I think he's got a huge future and I think at 15 15 is the, the difficult one because probably what what Warren would have done is probably played uh, Louis Rizam at 15 Yeah. and to have that X factor and to have that out and out gas and, ex- and I suppose experience as well to, to play but I've got a feeling that they, they really the management and the, and the coaches really really like Rio Dyer, and I think he's shown a huge amount in the last few years since making his debut so I think I think him and Mason Mason Grady will play on the on the wings and I, I think maybe they'll move Josh Adams to 15 and so that they get their best players on the pitch come Saturday afternoon.
1: i tell you what, if I knew all this bigs, what I know now on Wales and the inside about not wanting the ball and losing every line I'm literally <laughs> laughing at Alan jones I'm going up stealing ball thinking mate I've done you like a kipper all along he's that was the plan they didn't want the ball he's laughing ever. at you Jim he's <laughs> laughing at me Yeah, we have got you where we want you because we're going to smash the living life out of you but it's uh, I will never write a Welsh team off again I said that Andrew I have said that I said that yeah. at the World Cup I said 2019 Bigs, when you were there that was the turning yeah. point for me which is four years ago to think about is mental when you limped into that semi-final, nearly beat South Africa, and I was like, right, I am never saying that Wales can't do it. I'm never going to say it again.
2: I think, Jim, I'm good at it. That's a huge, huge strength of, of Gats's. I think, you know, we've got fabulously talented players. There's no doubt about it. Have we got the strength and depth of other countries? Probably not. But what we have got is fabulous players, and what they almost need is someone who's been there, done it, to fill them with confidence so that when you put that Welsh jersey on, you you believe that you're going to win or you believe that you're going to be in the fight every single match you play. And that's one of Gatts' real, real strength. Fills people with confidence, manages people, and not always, you know, he knows exactly how to manage individual players. So he'll know that if someone needs a bit of a boot up the ass, then then that's the type of, message he's going to get if someone needs an arm around the shoulder that's what you get as well so I think I do think that that's a huge strength of Gatz's as well and secretly he'll be sort of loving all this negative talk around Wales over the over the last few weeks and the last few months since the World Cup and he'll be sort of almost wishing that they can just go under the radar and and come into that match on Saturday with everyone talking about how good Scotland are and that it's Scotland's match to lose that with him.
0: There you go. Well, Jim. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Jim, Oh God. Yes. Biggs has convinced me now that Wales are going to beat Scotland. Let's give the match a bit of a preview with your Scottish hat on.
1: How are Scotland going to beat Wales? I don't know how they're going to do it because Biggs has just told us that, well, no, he told us historically that Wales don't want the ball. So I was going to be like, give them the ball. Just kick them the ball the whole time. But if they are going to play this open style of rugby. Mate, speaking frankly... And I feel like I'm being a bit negative on Scotland because I spoke about the co-captaincy, the two captains that they've got last week. But the pressure's on them. Like Biggs is saying, that everyone's talking about Scotland and it's their game to lose. That is the tagline going in. That is what it is. Scotland should win this game. And again, you can't go based on paper or what the teams look like, but you can only go based on that, right? So if you go based on form in the World Cup, it wasn't great for Scotland, albeit in a tough pool. And I thought we played... Well, in parts of the World Cup, but the one game we needed to win was against Ireland and we got our pants pulled down. But in the other games, like, I thought we looked very good against South Africa. Yeah. And in game one, I thought we looked brilliant as well. But this is a game now that if we don't beat Wales in Cardiff now, when are we going to do it? And also the form of the players, like you think of the form, especially of the back line, the forwards is a bit different. That's the big question, Mark. And Wales are light up front. Yes, I get that. But we've seen Wales in years gone by, joking aside, but we've seen in years gone by that Wales don't need to win line outs and they don't need to be dominant in scrums to win games and to win grand slams, right? That is 100% a fact when you look at it over years gone by. But I look at the Scotland bat line and... It's as good as it's ever been. And all the jokes around Finn Russell being messy. I was chatting to him this week. He he doesn't know whether he's happy or sad about that, but he should be happy because he's on fire at the minute. I think the way that he's playing... He should just own it. Yeah, he will own it. But the bat line is flying, who we've got. I mean, we've got Blair Kinghorn at 15, who's now playing at Toulouse. You've got Hugh Jones, who is on fire. Sioni Tupolotu as well. You've got Duane van der Merwe. I know Darcy Graham's not going to be fit for this one. But the bat line's brilliant.
2: Generally, you look at the team that Scotland pick and the backs are always generally in good form. They want the ball. They're they're good and they move the ball and Gregor plays this style where where it's all about moving the ball and manipulating the defence and things like that. Again, similar to your point, Goody, earlier, is that if Wales do a job at the breakdown, if Wales contest that, you know, make a mess of Scotland's possession and don't give them too many opportunities to to have the ball for long periods, then then where does Scotland go as a plan B? And I think that's kind of been a little bit, maybe where where Scotland have struggled a little bit over over the times where, if plan A doesn't quite work, where do they go from there? Does that make sense? Yeah,
1: yeah, Biggs. If you were to give an Achilles heel for Scotland, right? So if you had to give one thing, that Scotland, that we lack, give us the word that we could put up on the wall in the, the changing room this week.
2: But probably... Um, Plan B is is probably a big thing is that if, and I think that's why Ireland tend to do really well against Scotland because they sort of overpower Scotland a little bit. They don't give them any free sort of hits, any free possession, any free territory ins and they just strangle the game a little bit.
1: You said power, you said overpower bigs.
2: Look at the World Cup, South Africa probably probably overpowered Scotland, Ireland overpowered Scotland and, and if you don't win that battle, you know, we all know what Scotland can do, what Finn can do, what Cam Redpath can do, what who can do, what Hugh Jones can do. But if you're getting strangled and if you're not having opportunities to get those players on the ball more uh, as often as you'd like, then it's very, very difficult for them then when they do get the ball and it seems a little bit more rushed and you there's a big wall on Saturday in front of them, that power game when, when you're playing them becomes even more important. So I, I think there's no doubt Scotland go into that game as favourites, but I think there's too many people... In that Wales coaching setup, who've been around the block for too long to know that how to how to make make it as uncomfortable as possible for Scotland come Saturday afternoon. And if Wales don't win on the opening weekend with that momentum factor, going to London, going to Dublin, it's going to be seriously hard off the back of a of an opening day defeat at home. So I I think this opening weekend, I mean, it sets it up absolutely perfectly for the for the rest of the tournament.
0: What I'm hearing there from Biggs is whoever loses between Scotland and Wales is basically looking at the wooden spoon game against Italy later in the tournament.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm going based on Biggs laughing that England are the third best team in the world. So by his laugh, I'm thinking he thinks that England are getting beat by Italy in Rome, Andrew.
2: Not a chance, I think England will be too strong and, um, I think yeah, on Saturday. He, and he, he, he I said, think, I think. I think they've got, I'm sure they've got too many good players. In form, at the minute, England, you look at the way Northampton are playing, you look at the way Quinns are playing, you look at the way those players are in form. And I think in amongst some real, real experienced guys who've been there, done it, won the competition, worn the T-shirt many, many times, I I think that they'll be a bit too strong for Italy on, on Saturday.
1: And Andrew, does that change your mind from the weekend of anything you've seen that he doesn't go with Marcus Smith and goes with Finn Smith?
0: No, not at all. I think Marcus Smith starts. The big decision, I think, for him is at Scrum Off, who he pairs with Marcus Smith at 10. Does he go with his mate, Danny Care? his club mate, know each other really well? Then you've got the Axis at number eight as well. Does he pick Don Brunt there? So you've got that cohesion together. I'm quite excited about England. I've been... Over the World Cup, yes, we finished third, but everyone kind of hated the way we played. You know, I, I dread to think what the Welsh or the Scots thought of England finishing third in the World Cup, because a lot of the English fans were quite dejected around how we played. And I'm actually loving Jamie George's captain, who's come out and he said they want to reconnect with the fans, they want to play a brand of rugby that excites people and puts smiles on faces. And we've heard these clichés before, but when you hear it from Jamie George and knowing how bad it got during the World Cup with... England just kicking the ball the whole time and trying to progress in the tournament that way I'm quite excited about seeing how this new England team and like Big said some of the players at Northampton the likes the Tommy Freeman you know Henry Slade's on form Marcus Smith's on form we've got exciting players right It's how Steve deploys them and how Steve sets a team up to play because since he's taken over, we've only ever seen a box-kicking, kick-chase, put-pressure-on-them team. But now he's got the tools at his disposal to play a brand of rugby at a pace if we can bring it together collectively to excite fans. and I'm not saying we're going to compete and win the Six Nations necessarily, but it's certainly hopefully going to be a step up from what we've seen over previous Six Nations where England have been pretty dour to watch, if we're being honest.
2: If he's going to play the same way as he did in the World Cup, do you pick all these players for Quinns and for Northampton and things like that? Or do you go with players who can execute that game plan?
0: My point on it is, repeating what you said, Dan, around, you play to your strengths. Now, there's no point in picking all those players and saying, right, lads, box kit, get after it. We're not going to play any rugby because that's not their strength. George Ford, to me, hasn't played. He's been injured, but I think he's played one or two games. He's not played that well. And this is time to really energise and freshen up this England team and, and actually say, do you know what? We've got the perfect start to the tournament because we've got Italy away and we've got Wales at home and Wales have got their most inexperienced team. And I'm not belittling Wales at all, but if you're an England fan, you want to see exciting rugby and there's no better teams to do it against as the first two than Italy away and then Wales at home. So I've been beating the drum about it. He's got to evolve now. Yes, we had that plan. And he, he used the narrative around, you know, they haven't had a lot of time together as a coaching team, you know, since they took over after Eddie Jones got sacked. So they went back to basics, box kicked, set piece, Strong kicking game, you know, defence and put pressure on the opposition to try and win games. And it worked to an extent, right? We nearly beat South Africa in the rain in a semi-final. But that's what I mean. On
1: that Goody, you know, like, it nearly got them to a final, right? As in the way they played against South Africa. And this is the crazy thing, isn't it? Because if you go based on the World Cup, and I was at a few other games, and the energy in the stadium, the fans were booing but actually they stuck to their guns, they've done it. Why would they want to reinvent something? I say reinvent, but go from, right, this is the way that we're going to play. And because the fans are saying that we shouldn't play that way, that all of a sudden they snap out of it and say, right, we're going to play this fast brand of rugby. And Jamie's saying that as captain, they want to excite the fans like they want to evolve. So is that them saying that the way that they played wasn't the way that they want to play or them understanding that... The Twickenham crowd, which we saw as well in the Autumn Nation series as well, they were getting booed out of the stadium and the way that they were playing. Do you think that's Jamie as captain now, understanding that that isn't one selling brand England? Or do you think he's genuinely thinking, right, we need to play a different style of rugby if we want to win the Grand Slam or want to win the Six Nations?
0: Yeah, I mean, you look at the successful teams over the last few years, it's Ireland and France, right? And they've got a balance to their game of... Yes, being able to play a pressure game, but also attacking and having layers of attack and shapes that England, we haven't really seen, if we're being honest. Now, Jamie George, you look at the evolution of Saracens, they're play- they've are they played a lot more rugby over the last two years from what we've known them to be, from a kicking team that was successful. And the game's moved on, right? So you have to be able to play in different ways. Big said it earlier, plan A, plan B, you know, sometimes plan C. And England will revert to type at times, as will every team. There'll be moments in games where you just see the box kicking, trying to get an error. But that can't be your go-to, in my opinion, for the whole of the 80 minutes, which it seemed to have been a lot of the World Cup. It's like anything big has played in teams. You've played in teams. Jim, I've played in teams where you want to be enjoying what you're doing as much as trying to win a game. So there's certain pressures that come with getting results. But also, you spend a lot of time in the week building a team, building a performance, building a, a game plan around enjoyment just as much as trying to win a game. And I think that's where I'm desperately hoping Steve can evolve. The noise is coming out of Kampar that that is the evolution. Without going away from his DNA 100%, you you keep some of that in there without a shadow of a doubt. But why are you picking all these exciting players if you're not going to let them play in a way that they have shone for their clubs and play to their strengths, which ultimately is, is what every hope is for an England fan to see.
3: This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade, boulder dash. Just pull apart
2: with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendour. For each one is unique like a snowflake. <laughs> Thomas's, huzzah, a toast to breakfast.
1: Right, lads, I'm going to ask a tens question. I've got my opinions on this, but it matters a nothing when... No one cares I'm to, I'm about second nice opinions. To, yeah... I was going to to say two legends. I was going to call you two legends then, right? We've got a legend of the game and we've got Goody from the podcast as well. So loads of fresh faces. So no Owen Farrell, no Johnny Sexton, no Roman Intermac and the great Dan Bigger because we've got him on the pod today. And there's big changes in that position. Who do we think is going to dominate in that 10 position across the Six Nations? It's interesting for me, and it's probably easier for me
0: to talk about from a Welsh perspective with Dan out because it'd be quite hard for Dan to say well Wales are going to dominate now I've gone for me I think you look at it there's no one to Mac, right for France but Jalibert has been brilliant every time he's put the jersey on so I think that's kind of a natural they're similar players and how they play so for France won't be affected too much and I can see Jalibert being the one that dominates as a 10 in the tournament. And it's it's weird. The referees will be happy because of no Sexton, no Farrell, no bigger. So they they won't get the earache that they normally get from these other 10s. But it's actually quite exciting. Marcus Smith's got a huge opportunity, in my opinion, to grab the jersey. He hasn't got the, the shadow of Farrell over him, whether it's at 12, whether it's in the squad, whether Faz was on the bench, as we saw in the Six Nations last year. So he's got the opportunity, hopefully, to mould that team and Big said it earlier around how Sam Costello wants to play, mould the team and play the way you want to play within the framework. For Ireland, you've got Crowley, who's no doubt going to take the 10, with Johnny Sexton retiring, and that seems like a bit of a natural... I can't see Ireland deviating too much from how they have been playing over the last... 18 months and he's a natural fit into that so for me the big one we've got Finn playing for Scotland that's a, a continuation of where they've been but I think Jalibet is the man yeah we've seen how well he plays for Bordeaux but also in the World Cup for France I thought he was brilliant at times as well so I think he's the one that you're looking at to dominate the 10 jersey Biggs what's your thoughts Say uh, Finn. About- say
1: it, say Finn. just say it.
2: <laughs> I, I do, I do, again, I've, I've found myself agreeing with Goody a huge amount over the last hour or so, but Jally Bear's been in absolutely brilliant form for Bordeaux, who've been flying in the top 14, flying in Europe, obviously, beating Saris comfortably and, and topping their pool. The one thing I've got a question mark over over France is that, I, I don't know if you guys watched Racing versus Toulouse last night, Yeah, but how good how good DuPont is and Ridiculous. how easy he makes it for anybody else or for a 10 he plays with. I watched the game and honestly I I watched it in bed on the iPad. It felt like he was playing a computer game. Yeah. That mm. it looked like it was so infuriating because even his shit passes were resulting in something brilliant. <laughs> so so what I'm saying in that is that I think Jally Bear's been in brilliant, brilliant form. But France without DuPont I think will be a monumental loss. I think probably what's gonna be Almost the easiest transition is probably Jack Crawley in terms of that island because Ireland have we spoke about possibly Wales and England looking at a continue, you know, a new cycle and new players. Whereas Ireland have just basically they've stuck with what they've got and they've, you know, they picked Peter O'Mahony who's thirty four, who's playing some brilliant rugby to captain. So there's no sort of short term he's looking to quit anytime soon after making him captain. They've got Tons and tons of experience, and they all know each other, and they all know how they play. So I think Jack Crawley coming in—he, we played against him a few weeks ago for Munster. He was absolutely brilliant on the day, varied his game up really well, lots of clever attacking kicks, lots of basics done really well. And if you play for Ireland, and you look at Johnny Sexton over the last ten years, he's been brilliant because he's been—he's done the basics so so well over over the last. 10 years and very very rarely makes errors so again I think the winner comes from those two teams and I think probably those two players are going to have the biggest say from a 10 point of view probably from someone like a Finn point of view everyone knows what Finn can do and you kind of expect that but probably Jally Bear and Crawley are are probably those two which are a little bit unproven at test level and is really exciting to to see what they can do. 100%.
0: 100%. Now, talking of 10s, Biggs, we've seen the news, well, Racing announced the news that Owen Farrell is moving to Racing. Saracens haven't come out and said anything yet, which I find a little bit weird. But what do you make of Owen Farrell stepping down from international rugby for a while, but also moving to Racing over in the top 14? And have you got any advice for him as you're doing the job yourself over there at the minute? Learn
2: French as quick as possible. Well. I'm not <laughs> sure what Faz's French is going to be like in his Wigan accent, but um, I think it'll be a brilliant, brilliant move for him. I think... Files has been a phenomenal servant for English and Saracens rugby over the last 12 13 years. You know, it takes a lot to take yourself out of selection, but he's obviously felt like the time has the time has come and you know enough is enough and I honestly think he'll absolutely kill it in Paris because his quality as a player speaks for itself, but I think as well I think experiencing something different opening his mind, playing with different players. You know, Owen would have played in the same structure for Saris for the last however many years. So all of a sudden, he's going to a new structure with new coaches. I know he knows Stuart Lancaster very well, but there'll be new coaches, a new style of play, a new way of life, which I think Owen will will have to accept that, you know, when it's like Jim in France, things are done differently. So I think Owen will have to find that it's a very different setup to the UK. So I think try not to get too frustrated with, not fixing everything all at once. Things take a little bit longer out here. And I think I think Owen will be able to put a real input on that. But I just think it's it'll be brilliant for him, his young family to experience something something other than other than Saracens and England. And I think from my point of view, and I've played in Wales, England and, and France now and it's just benefited me each time I've moved and taken little bits from each club that I've been at. So I think I think he'll be brilliant. And I'd say I definitely recommend getting a bit of French in because even if you have bad games if you, if you do your analysis in French, everyone forgives you anyway. So uh, get your French in early doors. Well, Jim,
0: speaking of people that are moving clubs, we are now going to have a chat with double World Cup winning Springbok
1: legend, RG Snyman joins us. RG, class to have you. I've been peppering you on Instagram for you to come on. But we're best mates now after the World Cup and getting you on the Big Jim Show live. We're best mates now, right?
4: Yeah, basically. I just, yeah, I think uh, I I just need to pick up my banter a little bit. After a couple of those interviews, which side, I was like, oh, fuck, what did I say? Uh,
1: (laughs) No, I actually, and I did do an apology on the pod, because I've got you down as RG, Snyman, right? One of the coolest names on the planet. But apparently it's not RG, it's Aki. Aki. (laughs) Can you just do the pronunciation, please?
4: Yeah, it's pronounced Ergie in Afrikaans.
1: Oh, God. Okay. Okay.
4: Any, everyone actually just calls me RG, so it's fine. Well, you say your best mates
0: now. You didn't even wish him happy birthday. It's his twenty-ninth birthday today, and he is gracing oh, us oh, with his presence on the podcast. Happy birthday, buddy! How are
4: you? Yeah, thanks, guys. No, I appreciate it. I, I'm getting a bit older. Eh? It's uh, yeah, especially over the last couple of years. It's like well, the amount of rugby I've played over the last four years or so, and I, I feel like I'm, I keep getting older. But it's uh, yeah, it's okay. It's it's part of it, I guess.
1: Yeah, mate, you wait until you get to your 40s. And, well, I'm 41. I'm definitely over halfway. But on that, you mentioned the kind of injuries in the last kind of few years you've had. You've seen the ups and downs, right? You've seen the glory and, and you've had some big injuries as well along the way. How are you mentally with that, RG? Like, how, how are you dealing with that? Because you're such a high at the World Cup, you come back and you're injured off the back of two big injuries before.
4: Yeah, it is quite a difficult thing to deal with, especially, like you say, you, you know, you're part of something that's. highlight of your career you know and then you come back and you you can't play for your club and you're injured and i i have to say injured again you know which is even worse but yeah i think mentally the guys here have, have really looked after me well and you know kept me sane a bit and kept me part of the group really well so it's actually mentally it's going very well
0: obviously you said how great everyone's been at munster reintegrating you how were they when you broke the news that you were signing for their rivals, Leinster? That's the big question.
1: Not great, I imagine. <laughs> I don't want to speak for you.
4: <laughs> yeah, that, that was a bit of a tough one, especially, yeah, breaking it to the guys, you know, and telling them. It was a tough thing for me to do, but in the end, no one was really upset with me about it. No one in the building. Yeah, the guys were actually very understanding of it, and I guess it's, it's pr- very professional from their side as well to, you know, understand it, because it, it could have gone the other way and then... Yeah, I think (laughs) that would have been fucking difficult
1: for me. Well, Argy, let's be honest. Who's telling you to your face if they're pissed off? Like, who's (laughs) going to come up and say, I'm not happy? But just give us a bit more insight into that. Like, how does that happen? I think... I know the answer, but maybe you can share that because there was talk of you going to Bath. There was talk of going to Japan. Obviously, a lot of the South African players go over there. But with Munster and Leinster, we know that they fall under the umbrella of the IRFU. Was that a big discussion, or are they kind of is it completely separate? And maybe Jacques about having that influence at Leinster now that brought you across?
4: Yeah, I think the fact that Jacques is, they played a big role on me. You know. Going to Leinster, um, you know, we we really enjoy our time in Ireland. Myself and my wife, and she's got a job here, and we've really come to like it here. And so it was a difficult decision to make, but it was an easy one for the two of us, you know, be able to stay in Ireland and just head up the road to Dublin and and go and play with Leinster. And yeah, you know, obviously Leinster, their reputation speaks for itself, you know. And then you you throw the fact that Jock is there on top of that. It only makes sense. It was a bit of a tough one telling the boys.
2: Everyone I've spoken to, Corpus Reinach, Sia Khalici, Andre Pallad, everyone seems to just absolutely love Jacques. What makes him so special, not just as a coach, but obviously as a as a person as well, which is probably more important as a as a man.
4: Yeah, because I think in certain cases you get great coaches. They understand the game really well and you know they push that side of things, but they miss maybe a bit of the human element to things. And on the other side you sometimes get coaches that you know, they just want to be, want to be a friend, but they, they lack a bit of the rugby knowledge. And I think that's where Jock is such a special guy. And he actually looks at the individual as well as, you know, trying to better the guy as a rugby player. And I think that's why guys have so much respect for him, because you don't feel like you're just another number to him. He actually looks at you and he, he makes you believe in what he does and what he stands for, you know. And then that just brings the best out of everyone.
2: Have you given Jack and the Leinster boys a bit of a heads-up in terms of any of them wearing expensive T-shirts on socials or anything like that? I've heard you, you've got a bit of a... I've been speaking to a few of the Munster boys. I'm not going to say who. I'm not dropping anyone want in it. I names. Um, but his initials are CM, so it's up to you if you want to if you want to work that out. He says you've got a habit for ripping boys' expensive T-shirts, so um, just make sure you give the Leinster boys a heads-up for any socials.
4: <laughs> I was planning on not giving them a heads-up, but yeah, I guess uh, you're looking after the guys actually giving them aids up anyway yeah right? sorry apologies
1: if you rip my shirt open you'd just be left to it but Andrew if you rip yours open you might be throwing the headbutt without belly hanging out
4: <laughs> <So>.
1: <laughs> just don't wear a Louis Vuitton top around Argy Snyman because he'll rip it off your back right the
4: guys yeah found that out the hard way who did you go after who, whose shirt did you rip I think the list is a
1: bit long but... who's do you not touch that's probably the question like no, does peter Romani? No, no. if you can you rip his off as a no man you can't I, touch i can't
4: remember if i've but i think if i try and rip shirt, sure, that's going to be my toughest one yet <laughs> that's your challenge before you leave i'll give it a go and i'll report back yeah <laughs> no it's just sort of the the party trick you know Some guys like to down a pint fast. That's me. That's all I've got.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Me too. I do a bit of both. I used to actually go like the suit pockets and the arms. Have you ever tried to pull a sleeve off a a tailored suit? Fucking difficult. (laughs) It's not an easy thing. Off a tailored one. Off a shit suit, a Matalan suit, it's coming straight off. But a tailored suit, some of them bulletproof.
4: I do give the guys a bit of a heads up because I always tear my own shirt first. So if you see me tearing my shirt, fucking run.
2: I was going to say, put it that way. If I saw you tearing your own shirt, I'd be in the first taxi. <laughs> yeah, <that laughs> yeah. Way, yeah.
1: <laughs> You'd be like, oh shit, it's happening. It's happening.
4: Yeah, He's coming
2: it's coming happening, towards yeah. us. <laughs> I was only going to ask, because um, I know a lot of the boys, the, the South African boys have spent a lot of time in Japan. I know that you spent some time out there earlier on in your career. What makes it so appealing to to so many of you and, and, you seem to find a way of still winning World Cups and still winning matches, even though so many of you are playing so far away and experiencing different cultures.
4: Yeah, I think that is actually a, a bit of a strength in itself. Um, is guys playing all over the world, you know, because you you don't all have one mindset. Yeah,
2: you can all you can all bring different ideas together and things.
4: Exactly, yeah. and so guys play all over the world and they come back into into the squad and then bring ideas from everywhere. Um, and someone might have picked up something here or there, and it it only adds to the you know to the to the bigger group, and actually thinks think it works out quite well.
0: Biggs, you asked him then what appeals to playing Japan. I'd say about twelve games a year and a fucking boatload of yen. That'd be my answer. <laughs> but,
2: uh, <laughs> <laughs> um,
4: yeah.
2: Well, I mean, I mean, apart from the obvious, that what I meant to do Yeah,
4: and I think obviously for. A lot of guys, it, it, it makes sense as well, because like you said, they're off the year. They actually get to spend time in South Africa as well, you know. But for the coaching team, it is quite difficult because they have to set up meetings. And, you know, we have these online camps almost. They sort of get everyone on the same page using those online camps. And, yeah, that's I think it's a tough job for them, but. It works.
1: <laughs> hey, it does work. You could say it works.
4: Yeah.
2: <laughs> two World Cups, uh, I'd say you've done all right.
0: <laughs> Let's rewind the clock into the World Cup. Three months ago, you're lifting the trophy on top of the world. How does it compare winning the World Cup in 2023 to the 2019 victory as well? Because very few teams have gone back to back. You've done that. How did it compare?
4: It was actually interesting for me because obviously I didn't spend a lot of time in between the two World Cups with the team, with, you know, being injured. So, it was nice for me to then get back with the team and see how much the guys have have actually matured and grown as players. And in 2019, people were hopeful of us winning, but in you know in the in the previous World Cup 2023, they almost expected us to win. I'm talking about obviously the Springbok fan base now, Biggs.
1: yeah. So don't worry about. I had Scotland beat you in game one anyway, so that shows how much I know. Yeah,
4: so no, I think that those were the you know the biggest things but it was also special to see just how much people um did appreciate it because you know back in 2019 you didn't really know what to expect when you, when you went home and people were going absolutely crazy and then this time around thought you know okay you sort of know what to expect now and then you get home and you were just blown away by by how much bigger it actually was and how much it meant to the to the people back home so yeah you know, it was it was something really
1: special you mentioned Jacques Ninaba, but seeing the emotion on Rassi's face, I know it's a question that's been asked a lot, but just from your perspective, just a little bit of insight into Rassi. I know he's in hospital at the minute. Have you heard any news about that? Is there a WhatsApp chat? Is he all right?
4: No, I, th- I think he's okay, but there's not a lot of chat going on r- around it. So, yeah, I-, I actually hope he's okay. You know, Rassi, when I went into Springbok for the first time, Rassi said, it's only about what happens on, on Saturday. Let the main thing stay the main thing. And, I think where we were at now, Rossi was actually influencing us into being better teammates, better players off the field. Something almost deeper that he has come to realize about the game and the influence it has. And he was coaching in such a way as well that I remember a chat there during the World Cup where he was saying, guys, you know how you guys are here with the team, not being selfish. Some of the guys aren't selected. You still give it your all. You still prep. And train and, you know, make sure the guys that are playing are as prepared as they can be. Go back to your clubs and be that same player, you know, and I thought that was something that was really cool for him because he doesn't have to care about that. That was something that was really that sort of stuck with me.
2: I'm really fascinated. By this. You know that you guys did. I can't remember. Was it the quarterfinal or the semifinal where your ball was received in the 22, and the guys, I think um, Willemson, Damian Willemson, called a mark and yeah. chose for a scrum there. Was that something that was sort of planned early in the week that had been talked about for a while, or was that something that just came up out of nowhere, really?
4: No, it was. It was definitely planned because I think if if it wasn't planned, uh, a couple of the fours would have asked awesome <laughs> <Yeah>. questions. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, playing a kicking game, and then you look back, you're like, fuck, why did you do that? No, well, obviously in the prep, uh, going into the France game, we, we just thought, you know, just looking at the previous game we, we played against France, there was no scrums in it. There was no opportunity for us to, you know, get a dominant scrum on them. So we decided, yeah. OK, well, how are we going to do this? The way they play, they kick the ball, obviously, try and kick it into your 22. So if they do that, call a mark and let's scrum it's forced him to scrum.
2: <laughs> was there any objections from any of the forwards where that was discussed or were you guys chomping at the bit? No, not at all. I think, uh,
4: well, at that stage, we, we had gotten to a point where we were very confident in, in our scrum as well. So when they said that, the guys actually got very excited. You know, you could see Oxy just sitting there with his big smile and being like, <laughs> I like this. <laughs> uh,
3: yeah, yeah,
4: yeah.
1: yeah. That and that's it. When you unpick it, it's just like you've got a phenomenal team a phenomenal pack that suited like we speak about it all the time like the South Africans are built different it's kind of the tagline that I use is there anyone RG that you fear as the team like you've got history against England you've actually got decent history against Wales they always run you close and I say that with being completely respectful in the semi-final go back 2019 but RG who's the team that you play against where you're like fucking come on it's on like the physical contest that they give you
4: I think if you talk about physicality, obviously the the All Blacks, you always have to put All Blacks up there. But there's certain teams that you play against and they just, they don't go away. You know what I mean? And we pride ourselves on being physical. And certain teams that just, you can take them anywhere in the game physically and they just won't back down. They're not going to run away from And who it. are they? Um, who are they? I must say, I, I don't want to say it too loud now because Bigs is easier, but the, the Welsh guys. Just whisper. The Welsh guys, oh, yeah, they're they tough fuckers. They. Oh, they God.
0: <laughs> We've got them at the weekend. That's the old Welsh team, not the new one. Well, talking about
4: the Six Nations, RG,
0: I know you're obviously playing over in Ireland, moving up to Leinster. You play against various South African teams in the URC. Can you see a move, and would you want a move, West Africa end up playing in the Six Nations?
4: It would be an interesting challenge for us to face, you know, playing the Northern Hemisphere teams a bit more often and in the Six Nations. It would give us opportunity to win different competitions then as well. But I guess then how will it work with the Rugby Championship? Because you don't really want to take away us playing against the All Blacks. Do you know what I yeah. mean? And yeah. I don't think anybody really wants that because it's such an iconic game. And, you know, I think if you ask any other all black guys or any of the Springbok guys, they'll both say, you know, we don't want to really lose that. I don't know if there's a way around it, but yeah.
1: So, Arji, just lastly from me, like, how does the future look for you? So you're off to Leinster, going to be playing for the Springboks again. Like, Do you think forward into these cycles? It's about getting fit right for you. That's the next thing and the next ambition.
4: The biggest thing for me now is, you know, I really want to finish the season strong year f- with Munster. And it is a, a sensitive thing for me because I want to, Give back to Munster, you know, what they gave me over the last couple of years, and so I really just want to get back in this field as soon as possible and and give it my all for the for the last part of the season. We'll look ahead then.
0: Good man. The last thing you've got to do before you leave Munster is rip Graham Roundtree's shirt off his back.
4: Roundtree's
0: yeah. Ex-teammate, <laughs> yeah, yeah. a good friend of mine in Jim's. He's got very pert nipples. He as to well. the pod, yeah, he loves so the he pod, So he knows it's coming. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Big want- old
1: nipples, the lot monkeys toes. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> I wanna see Graham Roundtree with his shirt ripped open at the end of the season when you've had a good finish to the year with Munster and you can sign off a happy man with his shirt just over your shoulder and Graham Roundtree's nipples out everywhere. <laughs>
4: It can be arranged, guys. There we go, Graham. (laughs)
1: Yeah, we'll sort that out. RG, just before you go, out of the Springbok team, whose shirt are you not ripping off? Who's got the psychopath in them? Apart from Rassi, who looks like he's a psycho sometimes as well. But who are you literally walking towards then, pivoting?
4: I actually don't know. I don't think anyone's off limits. But... Wow. If I'm being honest, I don't think myself and Eben has had the, the tear shirt competition before. I think you it's should. It's usually the two of us, and we tear, we start tearing everyone else's shirts, and then it's absolute fucking carnage then. There you go. <laughs> <I, laughs> think.
2: Could you no, imagine? <laughs>
0: Can you imagine being anyone in the South Africa squad going, there's Eben, there's RG, we're fucked. Our shirts are going. (laughs) It's no wonder they're all ripped to smithereens because they know the shirts are coming off.
1: I know. Well, on that, RG, if I see you, as long as I'm not with the wife you can rip the shirt off at any point with the wife. I don't want you to embarrass her when okay. she sees what the bag of custard comes out.
4: Next time we're pitch side, I'll, I'll take you up on that. Joke.
1: There you go. Legend. I'm looking <laughs> forward to that. Thank you very much. Top
4: man. Thanks, RG. Thanks, guys.
0: Best of luck with the rehab and hopefully we'll see you back on the shirt soon. Thank you very much for having me. Ed. Class to have you, buddy. Top, Top lad. Bad it really is can you imagine I mean Jim I know you get a bit handsy sometimes on a night out with back in the day in Leicester but can you imagine what are you going to do if RG Snyman rips your shirt off you just say thank you nothing you? you just say thank you yeah,
1: you'd say thank you, <laughs> thank, officer. you for,
0: thank you for the privilege.
1: <laughs> this is the difference, right? I don't want to be horrible to Alan Wynne-Jones, but you've got RG Snyder on a night out ripping shirts off. You've got Alan Wynne-Jones hitting the deck in the splits, putting his finger in his mouth. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> All very different.
1: Both very aggressive in their own rights. <laughs> oh, jeez. Right, Andrew, let's finish off with The Good, The Bad and The Ugly, sponsored by Brawl. It's MaulandBrawl.com.
0: Well- <laughs> First <laughs> and foremost, Jim, it's The Good, The Bad and The Ugly, not The Good
1: not called good, mate. Oh, is it? okay? It's the good. Okay, well, if I call it the good, because I'm introing it, can it be sponsored by warlandbrawl.com? Mate,
0: you show me the money, you show me some product, and you can <laughs> sponsor what you want, pal.
1: Free product, mate. Dark honey and tobacco. Biggs, did you get some in your Christmas stocking? Some warlandbrawl? I, I
2: didn't. I, I, hopefully, now that I'm, I'm on the show a little bit more, I'll, I'll try and get a little bit more.
1: Mate, it's hard. It's hard sending it to France. I'll be, I can't do it against London. Biggs,
0: I'll, t- I'll give you the background. It's Jim's product based on my smell, yet the fucker hasn't sent me any. He's happy to sell it to it the isn't master. based on your
1: smell. What? If it was on your smell, it'd be cigarettes. That's it. It isn't. <laughs> it's honey. It's dark honey and tobacco. And tobacco. What,
0: what do you think cigarettes are, pal?
1: <laughs> okay, so maulandbrawl.com, Biggs. So the tagline is for men that maul and women that brawl. Raw, yeah, you've got it, you've got it. That's it, absolutely sold. Goody, hit us.
0: Yeah, we start off with a goody. We're going to start off with a Netflix documentary, Full Contact, which I thought was absolutely brilliant. It's a big shout out to everyone that was involved in that. Over in France, we've got Dan Bigger on. Let's talk about French rugby. Stade Français beat Bordeaux away. 30 points to 26 at the weekend. So big shout out to the Stad boys. Sticking in France, Claremont won away at cast. So a big win for those boys. And Toulouse won the Sunday night cracker away at Racing at the La Défense Arena. 27 points to 20. So Toulouse backing up their European Champions Cup form. So big shout out to those boys. Over in Australia, Ireland Sevens get a mention. Both the men and the women. Firstly, the men beat Great Britain. How funny is that? The Ireland Sevens beat Great Britain at Sevens.
1: Yeah, let's not get political, but yeah, all a bit weird. There you go. <laughs> but a massive
0: shout out to the Irish women's Sevens team as well. They won the women's tournament over in Perth for their first victory on the Tour Series. So a big shout out to Ireland women, Jim.
1: Unreal final. I don't know if anyone watched it. Rugby Pass TV show showing the Sevens. The athleticism of some of the women playing in the Sevens, the Australia team especially, but obviously Ireland beat them. That, for me biggest growth market in women's rugby is around the sevens just in my opinion there you go James
0: well big shout out then to the Ireland women's sevens team over in the premiership Bristol against Bath the game gets a shout out 57 points to 44 Jim if you do the math, how many points is that? a lot <laughs> <laughs> It's 101, James. It's the highest-scoring Premiership game since 2002, so shout-out to Bristol and the Bath Boys, mainly Bristol because they got the victory. Leicester Tigers get a shout-out in the good this week as well. Their victory over Quinns down at the Stoop was pretty impressive. Mike Brown scoring a try. Effectively, he won the game uh, against his old club. So big shout-out to Mike Brown and all the Tigers boys. But the good this week, Jim, goes to your old mob, Gloucester. Finally... Oh, I thought you were going to say Saracens. No. Yeah, Gloucester. I did the Saris game. They were quite good, but Exeter weren't great. Gloucester get the good this week. They ended their barren spell by beating Sale, 32 points to 20. They've lost about 400 games on the spin. They haven't. It's about nine. But massive shout out to Skivs, all the coaches there. Zach Mercer was on fire. Charlie Atkinson again. was brilliant at 10 as well. So uh,
1: Ollie Thorley
0: as well. Mate, Unreal. unbelievable. So big shout out to Gloucester. They've got the win, and hopefully things can only get better for those boys for the rest of the season. Bad, few bits of bad. Rob's not going to be happy, because Newcastle, they've lost again in the Prem every week it was closer though they're doing better they're getting better yeah but they've got to get mentioned the bad because they lost again and I hate saying it because it's my old club the Sharks get mention of the bad this week they were pretty poor down at Gloucester loads of injuries so they may struggle to make loads of injuries yeah they may struggle to make top four they've won only one of their last seven games now so not a good run for Alex Sanderson and his men but the bad this week unfortunately goes to friend of the show our mate Razzie
1: yeah, I saw that. He
0: gets the bad this week. Really bad news. Hospitalised after suffering chemical burns. So uh, thoughts with Razzie and everything that goes with the injuries that he's got. So fortunately, that's why Razzie wins the bad this week. And then the ugly. I was trolling through everything, trying to find something ugly this trolling. week.
1: Trolling. Trolling. That's what trolling. That's
0: Trolling, 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 whatever. Trying to find something. Ugly. I couldn't find much, Jim. I looked in France. There was no red cards in France. There was no red cards in the Prem. But I found a red card. What have you got then? All right, where? I've gone to Japan. And Will, Genier, <laughs> Will is going to get the ugly this week. He got red carded for the first time in his career for a punch on his opposition hooker. A punch. He punched someone, Takeshi Hino. Basically, he was trying to take a quick tap penalty. The hooker's lying on the floor with the ball, so he just rabbit punches him in the face, uh, and he gets red carded. Who's so. punching
1: who these days? Exactly, or Will Genier is. Yeah.
0: So Will Genya, That's why you get the ugly. First ever red card for him. And the first ever time, and probably only ever time, he's going to win the Ugly on the Rugby Pod. So there you go, Jim. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, James. And thanks to Dan Bigger. Biggs. Dan Bigger, yeah. of
1: course, and RG Simon. Don't forget to check us out on YouTube. Subscribe on Spotify and all that bollocks, you know, all that stuff that makes us grow. That's it, Andrew. Rugby spot. Spotted Pod, 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 Pod.